0: Welcome to the Regenerative Medicine Podcast Series, brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists. This podcast was created through the joint efforts of the Technology and Research Subcommittees of the Residents and Fellows Council of the AAP. Join us as we interview researchers and leaders in the field of regenerative medicine. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. This series is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed by guests and hosts on this podcast are their own and do not represent any organization or institution. Hi guys, welcome back to the Orthobiologics and Regenerative Medicine series. Today we have an absolutely fascinating guest, Dr. Fabrizia Ambrosio. In this one we get into a lot of interesting topics including heterochronic parabiosis, extracellular vesicles, and probably most importantly, clotho. I don't wanna give away too much, But just to give a teaser, in doing some background research for this episode, I learned about the origins of this particular protein and learned that it comes from one of the three fates in Greek mythology, the one who spins the thread of human life. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now, for a little background on our guest, Dr. Ambrosio is the Director of Rehabilitation for UPMC International and an Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the University of Pittsburgh. She holds secondary appointments in the departments of bioengineering, physical therapy, orthopedic surgery, microbiology, and molecular genetics, and environmental and occupational health. In addition, she serves as a member of the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine Executive Committee. In terms of her educational background, she did two master's degrees, her first in physiology and endocrinology from Laval University in Quebec, and then her second in physical therapy from Drexel University, Philadelphia. She then completed her PhD in rehabilitation science and technology from the University of Pittsburgh. Her research is primarily focused on developing regenerative rehabilitation approaches to enhance skeletal muscle function. She specifically investigates underlying mechanisms that target mechanotransductive signals, which may enhance donor and or host stem cell functionality. In terms of her research, she's been supported by the NIH, the Department of Defense and the Foundation of Physical Therapy, among many other research funding sources. Aside from her academic endeavors, she's the co-director of the NIH-funded Alliance for Regenerative Research and Training, and she's the founding course director of the annual International Symposium on Regenerative Rehabilitation. She's a part of both national and international leadership groups whose efforts focus on promoting the integration of regenerative medicine technologies with rehabilitation approaches. right today we have a very special guest Dr. Fabrizia Ambrosio maybe we can kind of just hop into this I think Shannon you were going to start us off
1: yeah so we usually like to start off with a little background information and could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are today
0: Sure.
2: So Fabricio Ambrosio, I am currently an associate professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the University of Pittsburgh. And I am a director of rehabilitation for UPMC International. In terms of my journey, so I completed a master of physiology and uh, endocrinology at Laval University in Quebec, Canada. And uh, that was kind of what got me first started into my love of skeletal muscle and skeletal muscle function and health. Uh, I also did a master of physical therapy at Drexel University. And then shortly after my master of physical therapy, I went on to get a PhD in rehab science and technology from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, Dr. Mike Boninger was my uh, doctoral thesis mentor um, and continues to be a mentor today. So after I finished my PhD, I was... Very happy to be offered a faculty position in PMNR, and I've been there ever since.
1: What brought you to the field of regenerative medicine and regen- rehab specifically?
2: So, um, you know, my, my PhD was in assistive technologies, um, clinical biomechanics, and so it was all clinical research that I had done, which was really kind of a nice um, expansion from my master's work, where I had been working in preclinical models, mice, and rats. Um, And so following my PhD then in in my faculty position, I really wanted to kind of bring those two together and understand how I could kind of apply uh, mechanics to some of the questions that I was interested in within the context of skeletal muscle physiology. And I actually remember very specifically, I was at a bus stop one day and I had a a magazine from the School of Health and Rehab Sciences at Pitt. And this magazine had an article on the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. It had just started. It was a very new institute. It was started from philanthropy dollars. And in reading that article, I was instantly in love with the field of regenerative medicine. Um, I I just, you know, was excited about the potential and and what it might mean for clinical practice. Um, And so from there, I kind of started thinking about how might I be able to merge some of my own background in in rehab, um, you know, the application of mechanical forces and really start to think about it at the stem cell level.
0: Yeah, I really love that. When we had Dr. Boninger on there, he, he talked a lot about like your, uh, ability to take this biomechanical approach into like the research world and even looking at like, a cellular level, was that kind of a, a difficult skill to kind of transition and learn it coming from a clinical science research background?
2: Actually, um, so my father is a physicist, and like many physicists, maybe even most physicists, physicists love their field, right? They love the areas that they work. So, as a child growing up, you know, I was just constantly being prompted to ask these kinds of, of physical questions, to look around the you know, our everyday world and kind of think about it from a physics perspective. And so that was always kind of there. And so for me, I think it was kind of a natural connection thinking about, um, you know, moving from biomechanics and the physics of our bodies and how we move and how we produce strength to then scaling that all the way down to the cellular level and thinking about cells in their environment within a tissue and how they may be sensing and responding to forces that they're feeling all of the time and in fact there's you know really beautiful research that goes back decades demonstrating that, you know, you give stem cells just the right signal, depending on the mechanical forces that it sees, even electrical forces, you can tell an undifferentiated stem cell to become cartilage or muscle or tendon. Um, Really, I think speaking to the the exquisite uh, mechanosensitivity of stem cells. And so I think it's a logical question then to say, can we kind of tap into that mechanosensitivity um, to dictate how the stem cells uh, behave?
1: I love that. How would you define regenerative rehabilitation? So you know,
2: um, it's it's been around for a while now. I think our first paper on regenerative rehab was published in 2010. So we're already past our 10-year anniversary for uh, a long time. We called it this emerging field. It was you know a field that was growing, uh, gaining momentum. Uh, but now I would I would say it's it's pretty well established. I you know there are a lot of um, articles that are coming out using specifically this idea of regenerative rehab. And and really the concept behind it is um, pretty straightforward. It's really just the integration of the field of regenerative medicine slash regenerative biology together with rehabilitation. And so the idea here is, can we use uh, rehab approaches to enhance the efficacy of all these great regenerative medicine technologies that are being developed and are actually being translated to the clinic? every day and conversely can we build on the field of regenerative medicine and regenerative biology as we understand more how tissue regenerates how cells cooperate to to heal after an injury or in the setting of disease can we take some of that mechanistic knowledge and and can that help refine our, our rehabilitation protocols So I think it's a, it's a really natural partnership between the two fields. They have similar goals, the restoration of tissue and organismal function and health. So the goals are the same. And, you know, the idea of regenerative rehab is just kind of leveraging approaches and knowledge uh, and principles from each of the two fields to kind of maximize our, our therapeutic benefits.
1: I couldn't agree more. That's an amazing definition. Um, More on a broad spectrum, I guess, before we go into the details of your research, what do you envision for the future of regenerative rehabilitation?
2: So, you know, I've had this idea for for some time, and I guess guess a vision that as regenerative rehabilitation becomes more and more established, we have more um, research that really kind of supports fundamentally the premise of merging these two fields. And that some of these advances can then be translated to the clinic. I think an interesting and exciting goal is to imagine individuals who actually have a specialization, rehabilitation clinicians for example, who have a specialization in regenerative rehabilitation. You know, as we get more and more stem cell therapies, biologic therapies in our patients, it's reasonable to think that there will be specialists who They go and they know exactly timing for protocols, how to optimize intensity, um, frequency specific to the stem cell therapy or the biologic intervention that the patient has received. So I'd love to see a specialization just as we have specialization in pediatrics or geriatrics or, you know, cardiovascular um, specialization, something similar in the context of regenerative rehab. That's a big lofty goal, but.
1: (laughs) Sign me up. Yeah. I <laughs> love to do that.
0: Oh, I agree. And I feel like physiatry is almost perfectly suited for that, like, especially because they're monitoring function. They're also aware of all the physiological processes that are at play. And it's more of a, a I think even the holistic aspect of rehab really aids in, in kind of, um, almost becoming a natural home for some of these regenerative therapies, because you know, even with like neurology, it's very specific to one uh, particular aspect or even like ortho, you know, it's, it's very, um. I think Piemanner does a really good job of doing almost that whole picture. So I agree. I love it.
2: Yeah. I think it's easy to envision. So, for example, even with orthopedic surgeries, how, you know, there's a fundamental need, the success of that orthopedic surgery will be dependent on the rehab following the surgical procedure. And so I could envision something similar in the context of regenerative medicine technologies. Patient gets a stem cell transplantation uh, and then they're referred to rehabilitation to kind of really ensure that the maximal efficacy of that transplantation is achieved.
0: So pivoting, one of the big reasons that we wanted to have you on, you have some really exciting Work that just came out. I mean, hopefully, I'm pronouncing this right uh, regarding clotho or clotho, which, uh, if, if I'm butchering that, you feel free to correct me. <laughs> um, But absolutely fascinating stuff, um, especially in its context with aging and skeletal muscle. So I'm curious. So first off, let me just tell our listeners, this is not the only thing that you've been focused on. You have a very prolific background in terms of your research production. Um, And so everyone should definitely go check out some of her other stuff with like the biomechanical stuff. Also some of the tissue engineering stuff that you've done. You've got a very prolific body of work, very impressive, but going back to this. Um, how did you first become interested in, in clotho, and, and what kind of set you up on this path?
2: So Clotho is is actually, it's a, a fascinating protein. Um, it was first discovered back in 1997 um, by uh, Kuro Oh and his colleagues. It was this fabulous uh, nature paper where they, they actually demonstrated that a single mutation, this isn't a mouse, it was a serendipitous finding, actually, um, that a mutation in what we now know to be the uh, Clotho gene actually led to a, a rapidly an accelerated aging phenotype in mice. So that is to say, whereas mice typically will live about three years, a mouse that does not have any functional clothoprotein. What they saw was this um, little old mice within a span of about two months. So in two months, uh, the animals developed uh, sarcopenia, cognitive declines, cardiovascular dysfunction, you name it, they were essentially little old mice in two months and they, they, they didn't live much past that. And so then um, in follow-up studies a few years later, what they demonstrated is that they could actually overexpress this single protein. And that led to a significant increase in both health span and lifespan in mice, about a 30% increase. Since then, uh, there have been numerous epidemiological studies to demonstrate the clinical relevance of Clotho. So essentially what they've done is they've looked at Clotho um, protein levels in the blood of individuals and they can stratify, you know, because it's, it's pretty varied how much Clotho uh, people have in their blood, though it's been shown to decrease steadily as we get older. Um, And it's been shown that the more Clotho that you have in your blood, then the decreased risk that you have for cognitive declines, um, loss of muscle mass, cardiovascular dysfunction. And so the clinical relevance of Clotho, this Clotho protein has been also demonstrated in humans. And so because of the potent anti-aging or pro-longevity impacts of this single protein, then of course, there's a lot of interest in trying to tap into this uh, for therapeutic purposes.
0: And specifically, maybe could you give us just a brief synopsis of some of the more exciting findings your lab has recently found? I, I, and I'm just, this is more for the listeners, so that way they can kind of almost get like a reader's digest version of, of why this is such an exciting protein to be studying.
2: Sure. Um, well, we were, um, we and, and some other groups now have, have also demonstrated that Clotho is very important for uh, muscle stem cell functioning and skeletal muscle regeneration. And so it turns out that, you know, of course we know that as we age, Uh, skeletal muscle healing capacity after an acute injury event goes down. And, you know, this leads to, as we age, increased fibrosis, uh, decreased contractile tissue, and then, of course, a decreased functional capacity of our muscle. And so understanding why those changes occur as we get older, of course, is important for us to be able to try and develop approaches to counteract, delay, and maybe even reverse um, some of these age-related declines. Our first big paper on Clotho was published in 2018, where we demonstrated that as we age, Clotho expression in response to an acute injury goes way down um, with aging. And so we don't have much Clotho present within our regenerating uh, muscles as we get older. But what we showed was that if we could restore clotho levels to levels that are more comparable to young, then we can actually kind of rejuvenate the regenerative response in the old muscle. We demonstrated that this was both at the um, structural level, we saw bigger regenerating fibers, and also at the functional uh, level, that those muscles, those aged muscles that had higher level of clotho, um, then actually displayed an enhanced force recovery. And so that was really some of our primary findings, you know, really demonstrating that clotho is critical for muscle stem cell activation in participation after an acute injury. And that if we can intervene and kind of restore clotho levels in an aged animal, then we can actually also um, restore the healing
0: response. So your most recent paper looked at extracellular vesicles, and this is almost a little bit of like the, the delivery mechanism for some of these clotho, uh, I guess it's transcripts that would be actually carried in, in these vesicles. Um, So regarding to this, do you feel like this is, well, first off, I guess my big question is how do you actually like isolate these, these uh, extracellular vesicles and, and kind of identify and make sure that these are the ones that would, would have like high levels of clotho proteins that would be circulating.
2: Yeah. um, So maybe I'll I'll, I'll just back up a a little bit to kind of how we started thinking about circulating extracellular vesicles in the first place, because it's actually the foundations are on um, really elegant studies that have used this animal model called heterochronic parabiosis. And so for anyone who's not familiar with heterochronic parabiosis, essentially what it involves is suturing together a young mouse together with an old mouse. And the beautiful part of this system is that the circulatory systems become exchanged. The young mouse, you know, gets blood from the aged animal and vice versa. And so um, Tom Rando and his, his laboratory at Stanford University demonstrated that skeletal muscle in aged animals that was exposed to young blood displayed a significantly enhanced regenerative capacity just by having that young blood exposure. And so since then, there's been a lot of interest in trying to understand what might it be within the young blood that seems to rejuvenate skeletal muscle healing capacity. Most of the work to date has been primarily focused on proteins, you know, trying to isolate and identify proteins within young blood that could be responsible for this effect. Uh, We, however, started to focus more on these extracellular vesicles and extracellular vesicles are really gaining traction in, in recent years because of their known and established ability to kind of serve as vehicles for cell to cell and tissue to tissue communication. So these extracellular vesicles are nanoparticles that are are circulating in the blood and actually fluids throughout our body, but they contain information, information in the the form of nucleic acids, proteins, lipids. And once these extracellular vesicles make their way to a target cell, um, essentially the target cell will unload that extracellular vesicle and read the, the contents within. And the beauty of that is that the target cell will then actually respond to that information that that it's just received and will change its behavior. So our question then was, is it possible that young blood has extracellular vesicles that contains information that may help promote muscle stem cell functioning and then tissue regeneration in, in muscle? And could we tap into that information within the extracellular vesicles to rejuvenate aged muscle healing capacity after injury. And indeed, that's what we found. We found that aged muscle exposed to young extracellular vesicles displayed a significantly improved um, regenerative response after an acute injury, far higher than control counterparts that did not receive young extracellular vesicles. And so then as a next step to try and understand what was the information within those extracellular vesicles, well, that's when we ended up um, focusing in on clotho transcripts. And it turns out that there are clotho transcripts within the extracellular vesicles. And those transcripts are taken up by the muscle stem cells. Those transcripts can then be translated into a functional clotho protein, where then we see the downstream benefits on, on muscle stem cell functioning and regenerative capacity. So a long, <laughs> long answer to your question. <laughs> I'm sorry to have gone on and on and on, but <laughs>
0: No, but I I think this is important, obviously, for our listeners, this is, you know, we're definitely going into the weeds a little bit with the science, which is important. I think you should understand a little (laughs) bit about the mechanisms. Um, And and personally, I love the, I love the weeds, actually, I think it's fascinating, um, especially when you get into like mechanisms. But so do you feel like the, these older mice who have like decreased, um, almost like a decreased response to extracellular Mm -hmm. vesicles? Is this more of like a... Like, what do you think is causing is it? it's, it's cause the, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I misunderstood this, but the, the clotho they're decreased as well in these extracellular vesicles, or is the, is the message still there? Are they still receiving it and just not responding due to like the docking proteins.
2: Yeah. So um, it turns out that as we age our extracellular vesicles, they start to become depleted of clotho transcripts. And so the message that um, the skeletal muscle is receiving from um, these extracellular vesicles that are in the blood don't really promote this functional regeneration. And so that's why if we can give to aged mice young circulating extracellular vesicles, it's, we did it through a simple IV injection of these, you know, a bolus of extracellular vesicles. We administered it into the old animal. Then what we saw is that those young extracellular vesicles were capable of boosting the regenerative response. So I think it really is a change in the message that is stored um, within the extracellular vesicles. And we think that this is exciting because it does suggest that extracellular vesicles may be a therapeutic agent, you know, maybe for an older individual who has just sustained a severe injury or perhaps um, post-surgically, maybe we can use youthful-like extracellular vesicles Mm -hmm. to boost their healing response.
0: And do you kind of, I'm just kind of thinking ahead to more of like a clinical application of this, would the goal be to essentially reverse engineer the mechanisms to stimulate it on your own, or would it be almost like a, you know, when you're young, take a sample and store it for like a rainy day in the future or something like that? Well,
2: I mean, I think we, we personally are interested in two different approaches. So one is kind of a extracellular vesicle engineering approach where we can envision taking a person's extracellular vesicle and adding clotho transcript to those vesicles and then injecting them, um, you know, to promote a, a regenerative response. And in that case, it's actually in many ways not so different than the mRNA vaccines that we take, right? We're just putting in an mRNA, this time for clotho, and then letting it do its job in the the cells that we're targeting. So that's one extracellular vesicle engineering approach that we're very interested in. The second approach is, as you said, Josh, is to try and see, are there ways for us to endogenously boost clotho levels? And um, this is preliminary work. We haven't published it yet, very early stage, Our preliminary studies suggest that exercise may actually boost Clotho transcript levels in our extracellular vesicles. In our case, um, we looked at extracellular vesicles pre and post-exercise, both in mice and in um, a small set of older individuals. And our preliminary work suggests that indeed Clotho transcripts are higher following a bout of exercise. So that might be one way to kind of engineer our uh, extracellular vesicles, but non-invasively.
0: That's really interesting, actually. So just a little bit of context, I I tore my ACL and prior to tearing my ACL, um, the orthopedic surgeon actually had me do like prehab. And I would be curious to see if that is maybe some of the effect that they suspect is demonstrated with, you know, enhanced recovery, but that's fascinating. Yeah. I
2: mean, so, so we've been mostly focusing on skeletal muscle, but we're excited because we do think that this has potential in the context of other tissues as well. As I mentioned, Mm -hmm. when I was first introducing Clotho, Clotho is important for attenuating aging phenotypes really throughout the body, muscle Mm -hmm. being one, but uh, it's been shown in numerous different tissues. And so I think that there is a huge potential. And I love this idea of prehab really trying to boost the micro environment such that your stem cells have the most favorable environment possible to really promote that regenerative response. In uh,
1: 2018, going back to that article, it, there was mentioned for mitochondria disturbances and um, uh, DNA methylation, mm-hmm. um, DMT3A and, and all that. Do you see that those are also targets that could be, um, I guess, manipulated in this? Or do you think just the clothos, like with EVs or extracellular vesicles, are more of a straight shot?
2: Yeah, so, so um, in that 2018 paper, we, you know, as I mentioned, we showed that clotho levels go down as we get older. And what we saw is that clotho um, protein within um, the skeletal muscle is significantly decreased with aging. We did a bunch of gain and loss of function experiments where we demonstrated that the clotho protein in the muscle stem cells are actually important for maintaining mitochondrial integrity. So for example we could increase clotho levels in our muscle stem cells and we saw that even aged muscle stem cells displayed an improved mitochondrial health you know the ultrastructure of the the mitochondria was increased even the oxygen consumption capacity of those stem cells was increased when we increased clotho Conversely, we could take young muscle stem cells, inhibit our clotho expression, and there what we saw was essentially an aged mitochondrial phenotype, you know, um, large vacuolated uh, mitochondria with a very low capacity for respiration. Um, and so we don't understand exactly how Clotho is um, regulating mitochondrial function uh, but it does seem to be doing that within the muscle stem cells and then others have have demonstrated that it also plays a critical role for you know kind of an antioxidant role
0: are there any mechanisms that you've been able to identify that i mean besides aging as being kind of like a, a... Not, it's. I don't even think it's a regulatory mechanism. It might just be an effect of everything that's happening, but have there been mechanistic studies to kind of tease out some of the things that may like be influences. Obviously, exercise is one mm-hmm. that is kind of you know hot off the press that you've discussed, but anything else that you're aware of?
2: So we also have another work that um, I'm, I'm really excited about that has to do with the extracellular matrix. And specifically what we know is in tissues throughout the body, our tissues get stiffer. <laughs> um, I even learned that even even the brain, you know brain stiffness is altered with age. So it seems to be just kind of this ubiquitous change as we get older. We have a paper now that that is under revision, but it's also up on on a preprint that is suggesting that the the stiffening of the extracellular matrix may be signaling to the cells to actually epigenetically repress Clotho and therefore inhibit the expression of Clotho within cells. And so we think that it might be, again, physical stimuli from the microenvironment that may be contributing to an impaired uh, Clotho expression.
0: Very cool. I love it. This is all like very exciting stuff. Um, do you think that, um, so I know in one of your previous studies it used some like the, uh, adeno associated mm-hmm. virus, um, to kind of stimulate clotho. And, and I was curious in some of those studies, were there other effects that you noted besides like, obviously you were focused on like skeletal muscle and, and some of the effects mm-hmm. of aging, but I know clotho it's expression is highest in the kidney. There are some other tissues that are, are predominantly, or, or maybe a little bit more expressed than, than uh, like skeletal muscle. Did you see any other notable effects that were Kind of interesting, or anything? Like um,
2: you know, we did not look. It, it, it was a huge missed opportunity, I think, because because it was uh, AAV to Clotho um, was administered and then increased Clotho levels throughout the body. Um, I would have loved to have looked at other tissues for those studies. We were um, specifically uh, focused on skeletal muscle. This the AAV vector was actually developed from uh, a company, Boeing or Ingelheim, and so they were the ones who who developed the AAV factor for clotho. Uh, And so we, you know, for for those studies, we pretty much focused on on skeletal muscle, but I'd love to go back and see if upregulation of clotho um, might enhance other tissues. Um, Certainly using other approaches, it's been shown that upregulating clotho does enhance, for example, kidney function. Um, There's some beautiful work uh, out of uh, Dina DuBall's uh, laboratory at UCSF, where she's demonstrated if you upregulate circulating clotho levels, you can actually significantly enhance cognition in aged mice and reverse some of the effects of Alzheimer's also in in some of these preclinical models. So I definitely think that the systemic effects are, are pretty broad.
0: Hopefully uh, maybe there's some collaborators out there listening that are <laughs> will reach out. Um, uh, maybe kind of pivoting, how do you imagine this kind of translating to the clinical side? Like do you th- see a role as for clotho as a biomarker? I mean, we've talked a little bit about possibly even engineering so that there's a, an actual like therapeutic mm-hmm. approach to this. Um, What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it it is interesting. It's something I'm fascinated is to, um, you know, the development of uh, biomarkers that might be able to give us an indication of how well we are doing with our rehab protocols right? Because if we just wait until we're going to see functional outcomes or behavioral outcomes to say our program worked or it didn't, well, that takes a long time. So I would love to, to, to be able to identify, you know, biomarkers that could say a week out into the rehab program, you know, um, you're doing good, stay on this track, you're likely to see good responses versus you need to up the intensity or, or pull it back a little bit. You know, I think extracellular vesicles are really interesting because, um, you know, they're, they're kind of comprehensive, right, in their in their profile. And so they, they give us a lot of information in a single nanoparticle. I think it's probably pretty unlikely that just one protein that we assess, you know, maybe do an ELISA for is going to give us a good metric of how, how well our rehab program is doing. But I think a panel of uh, biomarkers together, such as would be contained in an extracellular vesicle. Now that might, you know, be able to give us a more comprehensive molecular profile to be able to make decisions. That's very speculative, but I think it's, it's an interesting idea for the future.
0: Absolutely. I, I can envision some uh, young entrepreneur <laughs> listening to this and saying like, okay, here's a, here's an idea. <laughs> so I guess with any good research, uh, obviously there's more questions that come from everything. So what's kind of the next big thing for you guys? What are you like, most excited about on the horizon?
2: So, um, you know, I, th- I think you've, you've pretty much touched on on all the directions that we're really wanting to go. We're wanting to see, um, you know, about technology development and EV-based um, therapeutics. Uh, there was a paper in Science Translational Medicine not so many years ago that was saying that, you know, they were proposing that extracellular vesicles are are likely to be the next, one of the great next uh, breakthroughs in, in medical practice. Um, and so I'm really excited about trying to see uh, how we can, you know, help uh, push forward some of these EV-based uh, therapeutics, specifically for um, skeletal muscle, but we're also thinking about it in the context of cognition and brain health. So that's one direction. And then also, you know, really trying to, as I mentioned, the exercise work that we have showing that exercise may change clotho transcript signatures in extracellular vesicles. Uh, that's something that I'd really like to do more thorough analysis to see if that, that really um, holds true in in, in larger sample sizes.
0: Um, maybe we can pivot just real fast to one other aspect because a lot of our listeners are probably early trainees that are on the path to trying to become like a clinician scientist. And you've done very well in terms of your production for research. Um, any tips that you would have for trainees who are trying to figure out how to be a scientist and also, you know balance all sorts of other obligations?
2: You know, I I, I think uh, probably it's 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 not very insightful or, or or maybe too too different, but I I would say that that for me um, one of the, the the number one thing is really to love. What you're doing and, and in the context of research to love the questions that you're asking because then it makes um, it makes it really worthwhile you know going in research is so um, challenging and unpredictable you, you end up going in a lot of different directions but I think if you're committed to the questions that you're asking then it makes all that the ups and downs and, and the bumpy ride um, that much more worthwhile.
0: Any thoughts on trainees who are trying to get into rehab or not rehab, sorry, regenerative medicine in particular, Mm -hmm. any things that you would recommend to, if they don't have opportunities at their institution, like what would be the best way to kind of become involved?
2: I mean, I think that there are um, actually a lot of opportunities um, that that are available as the field has been growing. There have been more and more seminars that are are presented even online, uh, symposia, different workshops. um, And so there really are many different opportunities to get involved. Um, I think one of the most important things is kind of becoming familiar with the language and how people are kind of approaching some of the regenerative medicine questions, um, what are standard approaches and techniques. And I think um, with that exposure and kind of getting, you know, used to the, the, the regenerative medicine vernacular, then I think it's very natural to then kind of think about how rehab might be able to, to piggyback. Um, we've seen that a lot with our symposia where uh, you know we have a lot of rehabilitation clinicians attend our regenerative rehab sim- symposia. And um, you know, I think more often than not, they kind of walk away with a lot of questions even in their own clinical practice and you know, kind of an interest in, in participating in research. So opportunities are not lacking by any means. Um, we do have our, our website um, for, for our Alliance for for regenerative rehab research and training, which is funded by the NIH. Um, and essentially, we, we exist, our center exists to kind of help people who are interested in learning more about the field, maybe uh, participating in different projects and um, different studies or just getting a taste for the research. Um, so that's why our center exists. And, and we try to offer a lot of different opportunities for people to get involved.
0: Is there any advice that you would give to your younger self? As you were kind of starting your career, like anything that you could look back and say, like, oh man, I wish I understood this a little bit more back when you were, I don't know, 30, 40, etc. How old do you think I am? (laughs) I I would say I don't want to answer that. I'll probably get myself in trouble. (laughs) 25. There we go. Sorry. (laughs) We may have to edit that.
2: Um, You know, actually, it's funny because I um, am serving on NIH study study section, and one of the things that I I would have loved to tell my younger self when I was starting in a junior faculty position is to kind of embrace some of the comments and criticisms that um, I remember receiving, um, you know, with the first grants that I wrote and the first manuscripts that I wrote. I remember, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was to think, they they hate my work, they hate what I'm doing, you know, and, and... to feel really kind of um, take it as a personal attack. Now serving on study section, I see how reviewers are so benevolent, right? They really just want to help make the science the best that it can possibly be. Um, they feel a responsibility to try and fund this, the most solid and rigorous science. And so serving on study section has really opened my eyes to how it's a great process. And, and I wish that I had known that when I was first starting out, because then I think I would have been able to embrace those those comments and those critiques in a very different light as you know really hoping to to make my work um stronger Um, so I think it would have spared me some some angst in my my earlier days (laughs) and same thing with manuscripts I think you know submitting a paper and getting comments back it's it's easy to feel like you're being personally attacked but you know I I think that that is more often than not um, definitely not the case
0: I think that's all that we had, unless, Shannon, sorry, did, if you have any others, or?
1: No, um, thank you so much again, and uh, I'm doing a journal club on the 2018 oh, paper, okay. uh, Wednesday, for my residents. Oh, well, if <laughs> so... you guys have any questions um, that you'd like to follow up, you know, of
2: course, Shannon, just just send me an email, and we'll be happy to, to chat about it further.
0: Well, thank you again for coming on our podcast, this was amazing, you know, I really enjoyed reading all your papers, so. Thank you for for doing the stuff that you're doing and, and really kind of um, also being just an example. Uh, I think that you know, for me, I come from kind of a, a bench research background, and I, I love that. And so, um, whenever I see uh, individuals, especially in the field of PMR, who are helping to kind of promote a bench or, or even a translational uh, approach yeah. to to uh, research instead of just a clinical, uh, to me, it just gets me fired up. So oh, thank, you.
2: thank you so much for this opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Sorry if I I went off on tangents or. Got no. too too much into <laughs> to details that
0: <laughs> No, it was great. It was great. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you like these podcasts, please support the AAP so that we can continue to provide great content for you. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.